Instead of fear, instead of blinded eyes, instead of shame, instead of all my lies, instead of an orphan without a name, I, I hope you see Jesus instead of anger. Instead of unbelief, instead of weakness in the heart of me, instead of a wounded soul, sometimes loses faith. I hope you see Jesus. I hope you see Jesus. You see Jesus standing in my place, bearing all my shame. I all right, I want to welcome everybody here this morning. God bless you. Instead of got a lot of our voices, folks gone. You can look at these balconies and see how empty they are. Got some people away for the Memorial Day weekend. So uh, we're just glad to be here to worship God. We appreciate our visitors, and we want to welcome them. We also want to welcome our online crowd that are viewing from home. And uh, we want to encourage you to, to comment uh, Sometime during the service, let us know you're out there. Otherwise, uh, we we don't know you're out there. So, oh, what do I have? Let's see. I think I forgot to bring it. No, it's here. Uh, I do want to remind everybody that uh, I have a... Monday afternoon online prayer service. That's on Facebook Live. Yeah, I'll be doing it tomorrow. Even though it's a holiday, uh, I'll be here. So uh, you can tune into that. We'd love to, to have you. This is uh, Graduate Sunday. Uh, Eastside graduation is today, and we're going to recognize our grads a little later in the service. But I uh, want to remind you that, that uh, Aaron Snyder's open house, graduation open house, is this evening from 6 till 9 down at the Snyder Plantation. So, And when you're there, ask to see Rick's Garage. I tell you, I've been raving about Rick's Garage this morning. Uh, my class had to hear all about it, so I'll, I'll spare all the details, but... Uh, I just fell in love with his garage. It's the garage I've wanted for since infancy. <laughs> Amazing. So uh, uh, we're uh, proud of our graduates, and we'll have a little uh, to-do for them later in the service after the offering. So, uh, Christian, what do you have now he doesn't need applause. <laughs> All right. 
Um, so thanks for everybody that came out to the car wash. All those who helped us, like the adults, helped us with the car wash. Much appreciated. We made $478.05 yesterday from the car wash. So that was, that was pretty awesome. So thanks all who participated and all who came. And lastly, there is no youth group tonight. So everybody enjoy your day off. But next week, final week of youth group. Okay. Let's go to the Lord and we'll get started uh, rightly. Oh, Father God, we give you praise and glory and thanksgiving for all of your ways. You are righteous, God. And you are perfect. We thank you that the God of this universe has chosen to be here with us this morning, that you come to, to receive from us and Lord, we want to give to you all of our adoration. We want to sing these songs to you, Lord, and, and we want you to be honored in everything that we do today. So, Lord, please be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. As for me and my house, we will serve you, Lord, bowing down our hearts in worship for your grace and love outpour. As for me and my house, we will serve you, Lord, lifting holy hands in worship for your grace and love
good time to go and uh, shake a few hands and uh, greet one another. It's also a good time for our online viewers to go ahead and give us a comment. Let us know you're out there. the days of Elijah declaring the word of the Lord and these are the days of his servant Moses righteousness being restored and though these are days of great trials of famine and darkness and sword still we are the voice in the desert
Did you feel the mountains tremble? Did you hear the oceans roar? When the people rose to sing of Jesus Christ, the risen
Matthew 18, 12 through 14. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. I don't. 
On this weekend in particular, it's a little hard to avoid contemplation of the weighty subject of sacrificial death. I have to confess that I just got back from a vacation that was chock full of uh, blessings, and uh, I was not really at all wanting to face that subject. Memorial Day was quickly approaching. I had this communion meditation, and I just received the issue of the voice of the martyrs. All it just seemed to be whirling around together in my head. But the fact is, is that each of these scenarios of death and sacrifice demand its own space for reflection. Memorial Day began as Decoration Day after the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln's brief Gettysburg Address set the stage for contemplation of the sacrifice that our men and women in uniform have made for us, stating in part, we are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. 
that from these honored dead, we can take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. Since 1776, more than 1.5 million Americans in uniform have paid the ultimate sacrifice. As Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force puts it, there is a special commitment that runs through the members of the military, a fierce sense of duty and service to their country and the people they defend. They are fearfully and wonderfully made to be courageous enough to fight, yet humble enough to obey the chain of command, a chain of command that often leads them directly into the enemy's fire. We would do well to abide by General George S. Patton's exhortation. It is wrong to mourn the men who died. Rather, we should thank God that such men lived. Christian martyrs have lost their lives pursuing similar ideals. They are obedient to the one they serve and fiercely committed to obeying him and serving their fellow man. As the wife of one of the martyrs puts it, I will live for Jesus or die for Jesus, but I will never turn back. They are also humble, preferring to allow glory to fall on the one they call Lord. According to David Barrett, in 2001, there have been almost 70 million Christians who have died for their faith since 33 AD. And a recent think tank from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary estimates that approximately 90,000 of our brothers and sisters in Christ die each year. The same virtues that drive the American soldier drive the Christian martyr. Yet their memorials are mostly entrenched in the legacy they have left for individual churches and families. And then there is this memorial, the remembrance of one man set apart from every human being that has ever lived and died for others. This one man, Jesus, did something profoundly different. He died for each and every one of you and each and every single person that has ever lived or ever will live. And he did so not in recognition of a nation or a race or even the spread of a religion. He quite simply walked directly into the enemy's line of fire while looking over his shoulder at you. He died knowing every single detail of your life. Romans 5, 7 through 8 says, and I like the way the Message Bible put this, we can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone Good, someone, or good, someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. In the context of citizens of the United States, you and I are deemed worthy to defend and die for. But you and I are not worthy dying for in light of what we have done. But while we were yet sinners, Jesus did it anyway. This morning, we're grateful for the countless sacrifices our military men and women have made for us. And we can also take a moment to remember those who have given their lives over the centuries for our Lord Jesus Christ and the spread of the gospel. But let us make no mistake. Though each and every one of those deaths is significant and profound in its own light, only one death has eternally secured for us life and liberty. Only one person has ever actually been able to defeat death and in doing so, offered us the hope that we may yet see those who have gone before us. Let us pray. Father God, we understand that the death of your saints is precious in your eyes, so we want to remember them. We also understand that you have fearfully and wonderfully made each soldier, 
sailor, airman, marine who has ever died for us. Lord, we thank, thank you, and we are so grateful for them. But we cannot express enough thanks and praise and gratefulness that you died for us and in doing so secured for us all the life and all the liberty that we would ever need. So we want to thank you and praise you for those things in the name of Jesus. So we take his body that was brutally broken for us and the blood that was so freely shed for us. Christian to come up here this time. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, our graduates, Aaron Snyder and G.W. Ladd. And uh, you can come over here, Aaron. You can be at the left hand of the Father. <laughs> Did you hear thunder? Yeah. Well, I'm uh, I'm delighted to honor our 2021 graduates from Christ's Church, Gabriel Worthy Lad, GW, and Aaron Snyder. Uh, they have worked hard, and we always like to recognize our grads at this time of year. They'll graduate uh, this afternoon at 2 o'clock, I think it is, right? Yeah. And, uh, of course, we always want to send them off with uh, a little gift, and we want to pray for them. Um, Gabriel, your gift is behind you. I'll have you guys leave your gifts. Uh, Aaron, yours is over here. I'll have you leave it so that you're not trying to shake it and figure out what it is during my sermon. So uh, GW is planning to attend Ivy Tech and study software uh, design. And Erin is going to go to Huntington University and study nursing. She's already got a, a head start on that. And uh, we're so proud of these two kids and... Uh, we want to pray for them right now. So I'm going to ask Christian to go first and, and pray for these young people. Okay, cool. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity that we can just come to you, that we can bend the knee at your throne. Lord, uh, help these two individuals um, just lead a life for you, to be bold and courageous, to show the light of the world that is you through their actions, through their faith, Lord. 
Lord, help them to make wise decisions. Help them to make the right decisions to lead their life for you, Lord. Lord, give them strength and opportunities for you. Give them strength and opportunities that they can show you through their actions, Lord. Help them be who you want them to be in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Oh, Lord, you knew GW and Aaron before they were even conceived. You looked down through the, the years and you saw that they would be standing here at this moment. Lord, we're thankful for your guiding hand as you've brought them along the path that has resulted in them achieving this milestone. God, we commend them into your hands as they go forth from Eastside High School and pursue their plans. God, we pray that you would be there ahead of them, that you would go into the land and do the fighting for them. Father, we know that there are many, many undue, unchristian influences that are waiting for them to arrive at school. Lord, we know that in the chosen professions that they enter into, that there will be influences that will oppose any allegiance to you. We pray that you'd hold them in your hand, that you would walk with them, that you'd see them down the path that they have chosen. Lord, we just pray that all the days of their lives that they would seek to honor your great name in all that they do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You can return to your seats. Oh, yeah, let's dismiss our kids to their own program today. Yeah, I know last week I said some of the kids would stay up here. That's not true. I misspoke, so they are gone. One day a snake and a rabbit were racing along the paths through the woods and they collided at an intersection and they immediately began to argue with each other as to who was at fault. When the snake said that he'd been blind since birth and he should be given some leeway, the rabbit told him that he too had been blind since birth. Well, the two animals forgot about the collision and began talking concerning the problems of being blind. The snake said his greatest regret was that he had no identity. He had never been able to see his reflection in the water, and for that reason, he didn't know exactly what he looked like or even what he was. The rabbit said that he had the same problem. And seeing a way that they could help each other, the rabbit suggested that one feel the other from head to toe and then try to describe what the other animal was. Well, the snake agreed, and so he started by winding himself around the rabbit 
After a few moments, he announced, you've got very soft, fuzzy fur, long ears, big rear feet, and a little fuzzy ball for a tail. I think you must be a rabbit. The rabbit was very relieved to find out what he was, and he proceeded to return the favor to the snake. And after feeling around the snake's body for a few minutes, he said, well, you're scaly, you're slimy, you've got beady little eyes, you squirm and slither all the time, and you've got a forked tongue. I think you're a lawyer. God created the man and put him in the garden and gave him a job. And all day long, he'd see an animal, and he, his job was to point his finger and say, you're a snake, you're a rabbit, you're a hippopotamus. And this went on all day long. And God showed the man the tree of life. And he told him if he ate the fruit that he'd be able to live forever. God told him he could eat from any tree except for the tree of knowledge. And if he ate from that tree, he would die, <clears throat> that he would die. Then God gave the man a woman, and Adam pointed at her and said, Wow! No, he didn't either. That's not in there. He probably did, but that's not in there. What is in there is that he said, you are Eve. One day while Adam was working his finger to the bone, Eve wanted to go and explore. She took the, the day and went off with the serpent. And the serpent pointed to the tree and said, did God really say you can't eat from that tree? And she said, we can eat from any tree except from the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge. The serpent said, God knows if you eat, you'll be like him. And so she ate. And so did her husband. You know, people will fall for anything. Many years ago, I heard a story about a salesman that was demonstrating unbreakable combs in the department store. He was impressing the people who stopped by to look by putting the comb through all kinds of torture and stress. And finally, to impress even the skeptics in the crowd, he bent the comb completely in half and it snapped with a loud crack. He didn't miss a beat. He held it up, both pieces, and said, and this is what an unbreakable comb looks like on the inside. No, really. He did. I think we went through this last week, didn't we? At one of my hysterical jokes that got very little response. God discovered that the man and woman had disobeyed. They had fallen for the lie of the serpent. People will fall for anything. And so God told the man that he would have to work hard as a farmer 
all of his days, and then at the end of the time, he would die. He told Eve that, the, that Adam would rule over her and that childbearing would become very, very painful. And to the serpent, God spoke these words. And I'm using the New American Standard Version because I like the phrasing better. The rest of the time, I'll be using the New International Version. But in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, it says, And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And it's important to know that God has just planted a seed. This is part seven of our sermon series, Jesus in Prophecy. We've been looking at Old Testament prophecies that point to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. And this is also the very first messianic prophecy. The first time we get a glimpse of the coming Christ. He is that seed that God spoke about to the serpent. Let's look at three things that we know about seeds. First of all, a seed comes with promise. It comes with promise. Did you ever plant a seed in a flower pot with your kids or your grandkids? Shortly after you finish, you adults usually use, lose interest. It was for the kids after all. If it was left to you, the seedling would be doomed because you wouldn't take the proper care of it. My wife isn't really interested in seeds. She's interested in fully developed flowers, but not so the kids. The seed represents something living and exciting and even magical. They expect to see life come out of the dirt. A seed comes with promise. Well, God is the speaker in verses 14 and 15 of Genesis 3, and he has just given a huge promise. And the promise, first of all, was given to Satan. It was given to Satan. Maybe you never knew that the first prophecy in the Bible was spoken to the devil. God is speaking to the serpent. He curses him to an existence of crawling on his belly and eating dust. Many theologians believe that the serpent originally walked upright, just as we do. But verse 15 of the New American Standard Version is the critical verse here. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And so God vows to put enmity, strife, ill will, between the woman's seed and the seed of the serpent. He vows that there will be enmity 
between them, between the followers of evil and the followers of God, between the unrighteous and the godly. And her seed could mean any of her descendants except for what is said next in verse 15. He will bruise or he will crush your, you on the head and you will bruise him on the heel. The crushed head versus the bruised heel. And of course, he's speaking of Jesus. When Satan had Jesus put to death, he thought he had won. He thought the victory was his. But it was only a flesh wound, a minor injury, a bruised heel. Now make no mistake, a bruised heel hurts. I don't know how many of you have ever had plantar fasciitis in your feet. It hurts. It feels like a bad bruise. It's not just on the heel either, but it's painful. Anyone who's had planter's warts can tell you they are not pleasant. It hurt to be crucified, but it turned out to be a minor flesh wound to the Messiah. And when Jesus conquered death, it was a crushing blow to the devil. The resurrection had destroyed his power. But the devil didn't know that when God gave the promise in Genesis 3.15. He didn't know that it was a reference to the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8, Paul writes, No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. That's Satan and his demons. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Satan didn't know what God was talking about. And I want to tell you that Satan's reputation is a lot scarier than he deserves. Many people think that he's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's not. Many people think he's omnipresent, everywhere at once, and he is not. I had a lady years ago at the Laurels of DeKalb. I used to go and visit her. She was from Ashley. She's deceased now, but... Every time I went in, she was worked up about something. And usually she would tell me that the devil had really been working on her. And I said, Velma, he's kind of busy to be messing with you. He's got president in the White House. He's got Vladimir Putin. He's got Oprah. <laughs> he's occupied. He is not omnipresent. Many people think he's omniscient, all-knowing, and he's not. The serpent was not aware that even though this promise was given to him, that it referred to Jesus' act of the resurrection and that it would defeat him, that it would crush his head. So the promise was given to him, the devil, and the promise, secondly, was given to sinners, 
God was speaking to the serpent, but sinners were the ones who really needed this promise. You and I, after Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge, they had to leave the garden. They'd broken the terms of their lease, so to speak. They had to leave the garden. And it said that Eve was the first person to eat herself out of house and home. Now they were cut off from the tree of life, and they were going to die. So the promise of the seed of the woman was given to sinners, and this was the promise that gave hope to every follower of the true God. We have the advantage of hindsight now. But if Satan was clueless about how Jesus would crush Satan's head, many people are as well now. Jesus' best friends in his day didn't get it, even after the resurrection happened. Jesus even told his disciples beforehand that he would die and be raised. It says in Matthew 17, 22 and 23, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. I said earlier, a seed rings with promise. Well, the seed was about to fulfill the promise. And Jesus was spelling it out for his men. But then after the resurrection, we read in Mark 16, starting in verse 9, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Human beings can be clueless. A wife and her husband were trying to sleep one night. Actually, it was many nights. But they had a dog living next door that was outside barking. As I said, this has been going on for months, and every night that dog barked for hours on end, and they couldn't get any sleep. And finally, the man says, I've had enough. I'm going to do something about this. And so he gets up and he puts on his robe and goes downstairs and out the back door. His wife stayed in bed and listened. In a little while, she heard him come back in the house and he came into the bedroom. She said, what did you do? I still hear the dog barking. He said, I put that dog in our yard. Let's see how they like it. We can be pretty dense. Human beings can be pretty clueless. And so the promise was given to us, sinners. And Jesus' disciples didn't get it even when he spelled it out for them. So the seed rings with promise. 
And the second thing we know about seeds is that a seed comes with potential. A seed comes with potential. Did you ever stop to think how incredible it is that a little acorn that gets buried in the soil comes forth and becomes an oak tree? It's amazing how a tiny seed becomes something that is often magnificent. We see a variety of seeds in the scriptures. We see the seed that becomes a nation back in Genesis 12. Abram was that seed. He was introduced in Genesis 11, but we read in Genesis 12, 1 and 2, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now, Abram and Sarah, for somebody who was going to become a great nation, only had one son. Isaac, their son, was that seed. Isaac and Rebekah passed that birthright to Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. All 12 of those boys moved to Egypt during a killer recession. And Jacob and his sons and his wives and his kids totaled 70 people. And they lived in Egypt for 430 years and became a nation of several million. The original seed there in Genesis 12, Abram, became a nation known as Israel. And through that nation, God told Abram that all peoples on earth would be blessed. Abram's descendants became Israel, and from Israel came forth Jesus. And of course, the ultimate blessing in that promise is the hope of heaven that is brought by Jesus. That's our hope now. But the blessings that he brought are not only spiritual and beyond this world. Sometimes the blessings are experienced here on earth. During the 1980s, a missionary visited a refugee camp in Thailand. It was along the Cambodian border. And more than 300,000 refugees were caught in a no-man's land. The communists were shelling them with bombs every day. Food and fresh water were scarce, and sanitary conditions were just abysmal. And the missionary noticed that in this Buddhist country of Thailand, these Buddhist refugees from Cambodia and Laos were receiving no care. No Buddhists were there to take care of them. No Hindus were there taking care of them. No Muslims were in sight to offer assistance. Certainly the communists weren't helping. They were the ones who were shelling them from across the border. The only people there taking care of 300,000 Buddhist refugees were Christians. The missionary was introduced to the man in charge of all the relief work in Thailand and asked him, why are there no Buddhists here taking care of their Buddhist brothers? 
And the official explained to the missionary that according to Buddha's teaching, each man is an island unto himself. If someone was suffering, they believed that was that person's karma. And others should not interfere with his personal suffering. The official then said, the only people that have a reason to be here today are Christians who understand the value of human life. They understand that people are so valuable, created in the image of God, that Jesus Christ died for them. Hospitals, medical clinics, homeless shelters, daycare, shelter, daycare centers, crisis pregnancy centers, food pantries, used clothing ministries, youth centers, orphanages, refugee camps, drug and alcohol recovery centers, they all have Christian origins. Even 95% of major universities originated as schools to teach the Bible for preachers to go out and share the gospel. 95% of them, including Indiana University and Purdue. All of these sprouted from a little seed that became a nation that blesses all people on earth. Another seed we see in the scripture that roars with potential is the seed that becomes a kingdom. Turn over to Matthew chapter 13. Because in Matthew 13, the gospel writer shares a collection of Jesus' parables. And here in Matthew 13, it says in verses 31 and 32, he, Jesus, told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now, Jesus isn't trying to teach botany or biology here. He's teaching his men about the potential of the kingdom of God. You know, the earliest recorded use of steam power dates all the way back to Egypt around 120 B.C. But it was used to spin a little toy. They used steam to spin a toy. And we now know that the Egyptians were only a few simple steps away from the basic steam engine. Yet it wasn't until over 1,600 years later that the simplest steam engine was developed. Who knows what could have happened in Egypt if somebody had asked in 120 B.C., what else might we use this power for? I'm sure that once again, the disciples had no clue about the potential of the seed of the kingdom of God. I mean, these guys were busy arguing about who was the greatest disciple among the 12. And then after the resurrection, Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. Well, Peter maybe thought, wow, me? I get to be the, the shepherd over these 12 sheep, 11 other sheep? But then... 
Before he knew it, there were 120. He was the leader of 120. And then just 10 days after Jesus ascends to heaven, Peter preaches at the temple and boom, there's a church of 3,000 people. And every day the multitudes were being added and the church was 5,000, 7,000, 10,000. And they were all in the city of Jerusalem. That old clueless serpent, the devil, saw that there was a fire burning here. It was the church. They were followers of Jesus. And he thought he'd better stomp that fire out. And so he chose Saul, who was a Pharisee. Saul was the bucket that he would use to throw water on the flames. But as Saul first oversaw the stoning of Stephen and Satan relished that, Saul started arresting and beating and imprisoning other Christians, and the devil relished that. But then that old clueless serpent had no idea that the bucket wasn't full of water. It was full of gasoline. And when Saul persecuted the church, the fire in that church that was once confined to Jerusalem, it spread to the four winds. The fire became a wildfire. And Saul the Pharisee became Saul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle. He was a believer now, and not just a believer, but the Apostle to the Gentiles. And he took the gospel to Rome, to the heart of the empire. And by 300 AD, the Roman Empire was transformed. And that tiny mustard seed had become a kingdom, an empire. Turn over to Matthew chapter 17. One day a father brought his son to Jesus. This little boy was possessed by a demon, and he had brought him to the disciples, and the disciples had been doing miracles, but for some reason they couldn't cast out this demon. And Jesus immediately drove the demon out. And then in Matthew 17, 19, and 20, it says, Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move Nothing will be impossible to you. Now, obviously, Jesus wasn't telling his disciples and us to go around moving mountains. I mean, the way we are, some Einstein would set it down on the city of Butler or something. The point is that God wanted to be glorified in our prayers, and he wanted us to pray daring prayers. A few years ago, during the war in Iraq, there was a radio news story that told about an American soldier who contacted his friends and family back at home, and he asked specifically for prayers that would end the sandstorms and the torrential rains that were hindering their crossing of the Euphrates River. They couldn't go anywhere. They were stranded on one side of the Euphrates. 
Well, instead of stopping as the prayers had asked, the storms and the rain only grew more intense. And when they finally did stop, the American troops noticed that the intense wind and rain for all those days had eroded much of the river's banks. And that's when they suddenly saw them. Glinting in the sun, they were everywhere. Hundreds of round metal disks slightly protruding from the sand and glimmering in the sun. Hundreds of deadly landmines that could have killed or maimed hundreds of American troops. That storm had exposed them so they could be seen and avoided and easily cleared out. God does incredible things with a mustard seed of faith. And sometimes he doesn't do it the way that we ask him to. So we've seen that a seed rings with promise and it roars with potential. And finally, a seed requires much patience. A seed requires much patience. The promise was given in Genesis 3.15. The promise of the seed was itself just a seed at that point. The promise took thousands of years to be fulfilled. Years ago, the tomb of one of the pharaohs in Egypt was discovered. And among the gold and the jewels and the other artifacts that the archaeologists took out of there, there was a small urn filled with seeds. It was intended that the king would plant them in the afterlife he must have forgotten when he got there because they were still in the urn when the archaeologists came calling. Those seeds were taken to a British museum with the treasures and the curator put them into some pots of soil there. Although the seeds were thousands of years old, the pots were soon filled with gorgeous blooms of red orange, blue, and yellow. All those seeds needed to come to life was the right mixture of soil, water, and light. The seed of the first woman took thousands of years to make his appearance. God's timing for the Messiah's arrival was exactly right. By the time that Jesus came on the scene, Rome had brought peace and stability to the civilized world. And the Romans had a sophisticated system of roads for the carrying of the gospel. The Greeks had provided a universal language so that the gospel could be spoken in any nation and people would understand and there was a spiritual hunger like there had never been at any time in history. And that's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, but when the set time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law 
that we might receive adoption to sonship. The time had fully come. The seed sprouted and God sent his son. And you know, he's going to send him again. We wait for him again. Don't grow weary in the waiting. Don't give up. And that's one of the application points for this week. When you are discouraged, when things are not going your way, when family situations arise that break your heart, when there are situations at work or at school that get you disappointed and down, don't give up. Our hope is not in this life. It's in what's beyond. Jesus is coming. I also want to point back to Eve as another application point. She wanted to be like God. She fell to the temptation of her pride. I don't want to encourage you to, to, to set your, your, your pride down this coming week. Maybe if there's a dispute with somebody in your neighborhood, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody in your family, lay down your pride. That's what God calls us to do. That's what Jesus Christ did. Laid down his pride. And sometimes it's, it's just pride that keeps us from surrendering to Jesus. Even, ho- even though he is the son of God, we, we don't want to surrender to him. We want to be in control of our lives and our destiny. And, and I'm here to tell you that is the ultimate in futility because... Paul makes it clear in Ephesians 2 that every knee will bow before him. You have the choice to do it now or to do it at the throne of judgment when it's too late. If you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, he gives his invitation. We come to this time in our service every Sunday when we issue the invitation of Jesus to allow him to be Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, we're going to sing our invitation song, I Surrender All. We're going to stand while we sing it, and as we do, step into the aisle. If you have a decision to make, come on down here and let us pray with you to help you to get right with God and start a walk with him. And so I'm going to ask you all to sing, stand and sing with me, I Surrender All. Won't you come? All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Let's pray.
Oh, Lord, we, we bow ourselves to you once again. You are the great I am. You are Lord of this universe and everything beyond, Lord, whatever that is. You are Lord of all things. We thank you that you are the, the Lord of every event that occurred since the promise was given in the garden. Lord, we're thankful that everything that happened you could foresee. We don't understand all of that, God. We don't understand how you can foresee it and, and us still have free will, but we know that it's so. One of those mysteries. Lord, we thank you for the mysteries of God. We thank you for your power. And we thank you most for Jesus. Help us to honor his great name as we part company and go forth to our, our various places. God, help us to make Jesus our first priority this week in everything that we do, say, and think. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Again, uh, Aaron's open house from 6 to 9 tonight. Uh, GW's will be next Saturday. Uh, the details are in your bulletin about that. Tune in tomorrow at 4.30, and if I can get that machine to work right, we'll have an online prayer service. So uh, that's always a big if. So uh, hope you can join us. God bless y'all. We're going to sing our closing chorus for this month, and then we'll be dismissed. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the and life is worth the living just because he lives. All right, then. God bless you. Have a great week.